Previously on Snicktoons, I was joined by my youngest son, Landy, to help me break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 7, Time Fugitives, Part 1. But before that, we discuss something that is near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is Legos. Or really, a lack of Legos when it comes to the X-Men. We've only had a handful of sets since Lego and Marvel first teamed up to bring us sets based on our favorite characters, and the number of X-Men sets is sorely lacking. So he and I put together a top five wish list of X-Men related Lego sets that we would love to see. So make sure you go back and check that out if you haven't. And before we move on to today's breakdown, I wanted to just throw a big thank you to one of my listeners for what seems like the first time since I started Snicktoons, I've actually received feedback from a person who is not Marvel Plus's Brett Scott. Uh, So I just a big thank you to Kurt Schmidt for the kind words and for the feedback. And also I had asked listeners to send in their own top five lists and Kurt was nice enough to send one in himself. So without further ado, here is Kurt Schmidt's top five X-Men Lego wish list. Number one would be a mall set with Jubilee. Uh, Naturally, that sounds awesome to me. Of course, they would have to throw in the the meta reference to the X-Men arcade from the 80s and 90s. Uh, but he said a mall set with Jubilee, Rogue, Storm, Jean, and a Sentinel. So yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, his number two set would be a Hellfire Club set featuring Sebastian Shaw, White Queen, Madeline Pryor, and the Black Queen. So that would be awesome. A great addition to the villains because as of right now, we pretty much just have Magneto. So uh, an entire inner circle of Hellfire Club members would be pretty fantastic. Uh, His number three set is a baseball field with heroes versus villains. And uh, you can kind of fill in what heroes and villains you'd like to see, but that would be awesome. I'm already sold with baseball. So there you go. Number four would be a danger room set. And he specifically calls out, he would want little Android robot things that have spring loaded projectiles. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, Trap doors, doors that open and close projectiles, cannons, all that sort of stuff would be fantastic. And even calls out that with a set like that, you can do all kinds of different teams. The original five, the 90s blue or yellow teams, Morrison's team, giant size X-Men team. So all kinds of customizability with a Danger Room set. And his number five set is a Weapon X facility with Weapon X, X-23, Deadpool, Sabretooth, Phantom X, and William Stryker. So Kurt, that is an awesome top five list. I would take any and all of those sets if they were to drop. So again, thanks for the feedback and thanks for the list. And listeners, stay tuned because we will be bringing back a special guest from last season to help me cover X-Men the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 8, Time Fugitives Part 2 in just a few seconds.
All right, bubs, as you heard at the top of the show, I am back with a special guest host to help me break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 8, Time Fugitives Part 2. But before we get to our episode breakdown, we wanted to have a fun little discussion. So before we get into that, let me introduce my guest host for today's episode, my older son, Maxton, who appeared last season to help me break down part of the Days of Future Past episodes. So Maxton, welcome back to Snicktoons, buddy. Thank you for having me again. I had a lot of fun last time. Good. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, last time we did a top five together and our top five was characters that we are most looking forward to playing as in the forthcoming Marvel United X-Men. Uh, last time we recorded, we have we had received the base set already and we were waiting for Wave 2 shipping, which is all the rest of the expansions. And I was hoping that by the time we got to our second episode, that we would already have received all of our stuff. And although we've gotten updates from Simon Games and Spin Master that we are getting it early, it's still not going to be here until at least the end of this month. So we're recording in pretty early March, like the first third of March. And at the time of us recording, uh, Backers from Australia and New Zealand, pretty much Oceania, have begun to receive their shipments. We even are starting to see unboxing videos pop up all over YouTube. But unfortunately for us here in North America, they have not yet been received at the shipping hub. And so they are not being sent out to us backers quite yet. So I was hoping that uh, our second episode, we can kind of uh, give a rundown of how those characters played. Uh, but hopefully maybe, uh, you know, for the beginning of season three, I can bring you on for an episode. And by then we'll have received all of our stuff. Yeah, that would be fun. And then we can do a top five about our favorite characters. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, some of the characters that we're looking forward to playing as may not actually be good. They, they might suck. Um, and some of the characters that maybe we're not really looking forward to that aren't really showing up on our radar, they might be pretty awesome. Um, although I, I have a feeling that the X-Force characters, the X-Factor characters, they're going to be pretty rad. Yeah, I think that last time we recorded, I think that Deadpool wasn't on my list. But I think afterwards I was looking at his abilities and I'm like, oh, I should have said Deadpool. He's going to be awesome to play as. Yeah, he he should be. But, you know, we didn't back the Deadpool expansion uh hopefully that one does make it retail i know that some of these were supposed to be kickstarter exclusives uh, but some of them are slated for hitting retail the gold expand the gold team the blue team expansions and of course this this deadpool expansion minus lady deadpool of course who who was a kickstarter exclusive for that box but but yeah we'll see um you know we start getting our stuff i'm playing it's, it should be pretty fun and we can take a look at some of the Deadpool unboxings and see if we feel that that one is uh, is age appropriate. And yeah, we can uh, look at picking that one up as well. Deadpool's certainly not the most kid appropriate <laughs> character. Uh, sometimes he is, sometimes he's not. You know, it's just uh, it just depends on the dice roll, really. You know, what medium they're they're putting him in. And I I feel like a game like this, there's not really a whole lot of uh, room to be inappropriate for uh, for young children. So I don't see why we wouldn't be able to pick that one up if it does in fact go retail. Who knows? I noticed with the uh, the old Marvel United that it was 8 plus and now the new one is 14 plus, so maybe they could have done something in that box. 
Yeah, that's true. There, there could be at least some some jokes or something printed on the cards or, you know, what have you. But uh, either way, yeah, unfortunately, we don't get to talk about how those characters that we were looking forward to playing as are, hopefully in the next one. So in light of that, you and I have kind of come up with our own uh, little top five for what we're going to do today. So I've done my best as a father to raise you as an X-Men fan. And for the most part, I've succeeded but I haven't been able to cement X-Men as like your number one fandom. And I don't know if I ever will be able to do that. And part of the reason is, you know, you're, you're a fan of, of quite a bit of different stuff. You, you have a pretty eclectic taste. You, you're into all sorts of video games. You're into all sorts of you know, books and, and various other comics. And uh, we do have a lot of overlap in the things that we like. But yeah, you know, uh, X-Men doesn't seem to be as big of a fandom for you as it is for me, uh, but I thought it would be cool if we talked about, you know, maybe five of our favorite mutant or at least X-Men characters who would maybe cross over in non-Marvel comic books. So, you know, DC or Valiant or Image or, or IDW or, or anything like that, you know, Dark Horse, whatever. And I thought it would be fun to see, you know, what kind of characters we think make really great X-Men characters, but who would show up pretty well in, in other comic series. So I believe you have prepared a top five. Yeah. Nice. Well, so have I. So uh, why don't we get to it, buddy? Uh, and we'll do it the same way as last time. So you go ahead, start off with your number five X-Men character that you think would be good in doing like a non-Marvel crossover. All right. Well, I haven't read the actual comic series, but I did read this one comic made for younger kids that was more 12 plus than 17 plus, but I would like to see Wolverine in a Spawn comic because the two of them anti-heroes would probably be able to do what they do best pretty good together. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you wouldn't feel bad about Wolverine kind of slicing up those sorts of villains, you know, uh, demons and monsters and stuff kind of in the same vein as like robots where you, you pretty much do what you need to do because you know they're undead you know it's the same thing when like they, they throw wolverine in an issue with like hand ninjas because technically you know the hand ninjas they're all just reanimated dead guys so it's okay if he slices them up you know same thing would be towards you know demons and that sort of stuff so yeah uh wolverine is also pretty good at uh, being in darker kind of comics and so you know the main line of spawn is is a pretty dark and mature series and uh yeah i think wolverine would would do really well in there all right what's your <laughs> number five then yeah so for me for my number five um i have one of my favorite x-men characters thanks to the cartoon not so much in the comics is the beast i love beast in the x-men the animated series i really liked him as like a teacher, kind of a father figure, you know, like an adult voice of reason in X-Men Evolution. And, uh, you know, he was a really good number two for Wolverine in the Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon. Um, although I haven't really cared for Beast in the comics for, for quite a while, uh, I do still think that he is a great character. One of my favorite things about Beast is his penchant for quoting philosophy and, you know, famous authors and writers, philosophers, scientists, all of that sort of stuff. And in addition to that, I really love the aspect of Beast that has him as a 
you know, a, a lab tech, you know, just a, a top of the line scientist. It's not something that we get to see all that often anymore. I feel like a lot of his storylines, he's either like a mad scientist or they really play into the fact that he is big and strong and, and acrobatic and that sort of stuff. But I would love to see him get back to just being that one kind of scientist guy who has, you know, a, he's doing good science. And I think that Hank McCoy, Dr. McCoy, would fit really well on the Star Labs team. So I say that I would like to see Beast show up in a crossover with The Flash. Nice. That sounds pretty cool because they're both scientists, so they would work well together. And then maybe Beast will also get himself zapped with lightning and chemicals will fall on him <laughs> and he'll get super speed too. Yeah. <laughs> that could work. Uh, I was mostly going based on like the way that the CW series has gone on with with guys like Cisco or uh, Dr. Caitlin Snow on the show as kind of being like the home base kind of guys that help Barry push the science in the episode and, and kind of solve all the scientific mysteries. I think that Beast would be able to do that real, real well if they did a comic book crossover. Yeah, he would work well with those people. <laughs> All right, Matt, how about you? What do you have for uh, number four on your list? Number four on my list, surprisingly, is actually a crossover between Deadpool and Deathstroke. Mm -hmm. uh, after all, Deadpool was kind of inspired by Deathstroke in a way. So uh, I think it would be funny seeing those two together. At least it would be funny to see Deadpool with Deathstroke. Deathstroke, well, not so much funny with Deadpool. But anyway, I think that they would be good because they're both mercs. And only one of them has a mouth, but still. Uh, and then they would probably be able to go for, like, some big money mission and take it on easily with their skill and killing strategies. Yeah, I think that would be some fun stuff where they can bounce back and forth. You know, Deathstroke in the comics generally tends to be a little bit more serious. Uh, he's a lot more serious as a villain. And even Deadpool kind of started that way, although... You know, he would kind of chime in here and there. It, it wasn't really until after other writers kind of got their hooks into Deadpool that he uh, transformed into the fourth wall breaking, you know, hilarious character that he is now. Uh, but I think that would be a fun thing to kind of play against the somewhat seriousness of the character of Deathstroke. You know, plus there's always the added jokes that Deadpool would be like, yeah, I'm just a better version of you and stuff since, you know, he was, like you said, created mostly to be an homage to, to that character. I think Rob Liefeld has spoken pretty candidly in the past about his inspirations for a lot of his different creations, both at Marvel and uh, once he was, co you know, one of the seven co-founders of Image, you know, he, he wasn't shy about the things that inspired him and all that, which I think is really cool. You know, it's it's great to see that, you know, there's a generation of creators out there who grew up as comic book fans and and really wanted to put their own spin on stuff. And yeah, I think that would just lend uh, lend itself to a really great dynamic between, between those two. I agree. I think that it would be pretty funny. Now, what's your number four? Okay, so for me, I have number four on my list, Magic also known as uh, Ilyana Rasputin. Uh, and I have her crossing over with someone that you've already said, Spawn. Uh, based on Spawn's origin and stuff, I think that a lot of the dark magic that you get from that sort of an origin 
lends itself pretty well to the same kind of origin that magic has. You know, as as a young girl, she was lost in limbo and she was raised by the demon Velasco and, you know, become a sorceress and the ruler of limbo, which I think would would be a pretty fun new realm to explore within the context of a spawn series. Uh, and I think it would let her, for lack of a better word, exercise a lot of the demons of her past to kind of be able to, uh, you know, face those things kind of head on. Uh, so, yeah, I have uh, Ilyana Rasputin, a.k.a. Magic, as my number four crossing over in a Spawn series. Neither. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And I would have said Ghost Rider and Spawn, you know, with their similar deals with certain bad guys and characters, sure. <laughs> which I'm not going to go into because it's kind of dark. But if we weren't just going with X-Men, I probably, instead of saying Wolverine, would have said Ghost Rider due to their similar origin stories and stuff. Yeah, no, Ghost Rider would be great as well. But yeah, I, I still think that uh, that Wolverine would, it would just be fun to see him slicing and dicing his way through the pages of Spawn. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool. All right. So then, buddy, who do you have number three on your list? All right. Well, you can consider it or you cannot, but I have Nightcrawler and the characters from Cuphead because technically Cuphead was a comic <laughs> at some point and I just feel like that would kind of be fun if you know in the video game even seeing Nightcrawler do what he does teleporting <laughs> the enemies and throwing them at the screen and all of that stuff um but since Cuphead does have its own comic series I thought hey Nightcrawler and Cuphead and Mugman would go kind of well together i figured it would still probably be a little funny to see yeah uh, one thing too about nightcrawler is in the comic books you know nightcrawler always goes on and on about how he, he was raised in the circus but because he had this traveling kind of you know for lack of a better word gypsy lifestyle he didn't really get a whole lot of like socialization except for with his with his own, you know, carnival goers and stuff. But whenever they got into towns with a movie theater, he would always go into town and watch the old, you know, Robin Hood movies and stuff of Errol Flynn. And with Cuphead being uh, based on like 1930s animation and Errol Flynn being kind of like an action star from around the 1930s, I think they would have the chance to do a lot of really fun stuff with uh, you know, Nightcrawler's kind of swashbuckling background that was inspired by the Errol Flynn movies. Yeah, I agree. Um, in Cuphead, they say it's 1930 because on the once you get defeated by a boss, it's got like a little card of them and they have a line. But on the bottom, it says MDHR Inc. 1930, all rights reserved or whatever. So I think that that would be kind of fun. Plus, Nightcrawler is a Christian in the cartoon uh, so he could help Cuphead and Mugman maybe kind of deal with their main enemy there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that they can do. Uh, it'd be interesting to explore that in in a Cuphead video game or in, or in a Cuphead comic series. But yeah, I, Nightcrawler and Cuphead, interesting. It's very outside-the-box thinking that you've got going on. <laughs> well, right now I do like Cuphead, and I kind of <laughs> try to cross over things with other things I like, so I figured... Mm, Cuphead is a comic. Let's cross these two over. <laughs> yeah, you know, I tried to pick comics that I that I loved as well, and I just could not think of an X-Men character 
to put into Usagi Yojimbo, unfortunately. Oh, man, that's such a bummer. You could have done uh, Silver Samurai versus Usagi. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Which is actually something I had. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, then we'll, we'll save that before we get more into that. Uh, for my number three, uh, I actually went with uh, something that was a little bit more on the nose. So Wolverine in the comics was was created pretty much to be a living weapon, right? He was taken by the government and experimented on and and turned into a weapon to use during warfare. That's kind of the gist of the whole Weapon X program and that portion of his background. And there is another comic book series where the character, the lead character, has has a very similar uh, origin to that. He's he's more like. Um, RoboCop meets Captain America with a little bit of Weapon X twist. And that is a character called Bloodshot from Valiant Comics. I knew you were going to have him in there somewhere. You love that character. <laughs> I, I, I'm a big fan of Valiant Comics. I don't really read a whole lot uh, anymore. But when they went and did their relaunch back in, what was it, like 2012, when they, when they had their whole rebranding and relaunch, uh, because uh, a gentleman named Dinesh Shamdasani bought them, um, and was able to like relaunch the whole line uh, with like you know updated stuff, and they got top-notch creators. Anyway, Bloodshot to me was one of the standout books of that that early era of you know relaunched Valiant Comics, and I and I really loved his origin. Like I said, he's kind of RoboCop meets Captain America. The way that RoboCop's origin went, buddy, because I know that you haven't seen that movie, it is not appropriate. No, I saw for it like you. thirty-three times. Oh, please, not appropriate for you at all. Uh, anyway, so he is like a police officer in like the future Detroit. And unfortunately, you know, he he dies in the line of duty, as as unfortunately, sometimes police officers do. And they kind of bring him back as like a robot. You know, he's a he's a robo cop. Right. That's where they get the name. He's a robot cop. And they bring him back as sort of this like reanimated, still living, but mostly robot. So you take that aspect and you add in the background of instead of him being a police officer, he was a soldier. And instead of him having like this new robot body, they just inject all these little nanobots into his body and they kind of repair. And it's kind of the same thing where you have RoboCop and this, this robo soldier. But because it's like this secret clandestine uh, government portion you know government program or whatever within the military that's where you get like the weapon x aspect of of wolverine and so i think if they were to, if those two characters were to do the crossover uh, i think that would be pretty cool because both of them kind of have this this background where they have to fight back against you know the, the military machine here um, and and i just think that, that would be a lot of fun to see the two of them you know getting beat up and healing and just mowing down all these you know faceless government dudes i just think that that would that would make a fun crossover nice that that would be pretty cool um i haven't seen robocop but they made fun of it in Teen Titans Go with Toilet Cop, where a cop <laughs> dies in the line of duty, so they put his brain in a toilet. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, man, I love Teen Titans Go. <laughs> yep. And that sets up my number two, which is Starfire and Cyclops. Oh, man. Oh, that was an excellent segue. I usually try to say something that sets up my next thing. <laughs> okay, so Starfire and Cyclops. That's that's interesting. Are we talking Teen Titans Go Starfire? 
I'm thinking more of the... Well, it depends. If we're going with a more comic book mature Cyclops, then we're probably going from the Starfire from the comic books, who's more dark and violent. Whereas if we're going with like the X-Men cartoon, I would prefer the cartoon Starfire where she's cute saying things all backwards, <laughs> her being the Baca that chews. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I... It kind of just depends on the continuity there, but uh, I, if we're going off the comics here, I would be saying um, Starfire from like Jeff Johns' run. Oh, nice! Yeah. Oh man, I love that run. That was such a great run. Um, it was I, great. I think it lasted for like fifty issues, and then eventually they had a new writer come in for a little while, and then he jumped back on, and then they kind of swapped out some of the artists as well, but. Yeah, that's like for me, that's like my definitive era of Teen Titans, which I know a lot of people are like, whoa, dude, come on. What are you talking about? Like 70s, 80s, 90s Titans and Teen Titans is 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 fantastic stuff. But, you know, I I wasn't into DC then uh, for three of those or two of those decades. I wasn't even reading comics. You know, I wasn't it didn't even exist in the <laughs> 70s and, and halfway through the 80s. So um, I didn't start collecting and reading Teen Titans until that Jeff Johns relaunch in the mid 2000s like 2004 i think or 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 uh, very early 2005 when it was tim drake robin and connor superboy um and bart as as kid you know when he takes on the mantle of kid flash i really love that series yes and and i can see the appeal of bringing someone in like cyclops having cyclops cross over with starfire when she's like the the seasoned veteran leader kind of teaching these new teenage superheroes how to be superheroes like that's perfect for someone like cyclops exactly i mean it depends but in some of the stuff cyclops teaches some of the mutants like in uh, x-men evolution and like with starfire being like the adult there to kind of keep all of the kids in hand that would just do pretty good and i agree i think that the jeff john's I think I prefer it to the 70s. Now to break the fourth wall here, there's no offense. I just fall asleep when reading 70s comics. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Fair enough. There's some really good Batman from the 70s. And of course, you know, the X-Men relaunch happened in, in the mid 70s. So I can read 30s Batman, but that's because it's only like seven pages. <laughs> yeah. And thrice as many words as a, a whole 70s arc. All right. So I, I like that pick, dude. I, I liked uh, I liked where you're going with that. I, I wasn't sure the, the lure of the crossover, uh, but then you started mentioning her as like the, the adult on the team with these teenage superheroes. And it's like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's funny, too, because I know that in the 80s, at some point, the X-Men and the Teen Titans actually did cross over for real. They're, like There actually is a crossover where the X-Men and the Teen Titans meet up. And I've actually never read read that crossover, which is too bad. But I mean, you know, you, you're not going to find a crossover like that on Marvel Unlimited or or DC Infinite because it's a it's two companies. So right. You have to read it on like the read comics online. But of course, you feel guilty for that because it's free comics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like using that, you know, unless I'm in, in a pinch. I just, you know, it's hard for me to condone using that kind of a, of a website to read comics, just because, you know, as someone who is a, is a wannabe comic book writer myself, I just know 
that having your comics on a, a pirate site like that, it's a, uh, you know, it's taking money out of your pocket as a creator. So, so yeah, I, I, I generally don't condone that sort of thing, but if it's a book that is out of print and everything, and, and you're not actually taking money out of the pockets of, of the creators and, and these books are hard to track down, then I guess it, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a gray area for sure. <laughs> All right. So then this is what your number two. Yes, this would be, uh, number two for me, and I'm actually, this is, I'm probably going to throw you for a loop here, but I'm going to say I would love to see Jubilee, you know, particularly the version of Jubilee that we get in uh, X-Men, the animated series, you know, the fun teenager who's who's just here to have a good time. And I would like to see her crossed over with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> nice. Teenage <laughs> Mutant Ninja Turtles plus Teenage Girl. Teenage Mutant Arcade player, you know, like <laughs> I just think that 90s Jubilee, uh, even 90s comics Jubilee, you know, before she got onto the Generation X team and those storylines started getting super dark and, you know, Jubilee kind of had to grow up quite a bit uh, before she went onto the Generation X team, when she was in just the X-Men and Uncanny X-Men books, and of course, when she showed up in the Wolverine solo series in the late 80s and early 90s, she was just such a great character. She was so funny and so lively, and she always had just like the best quippy comebacks that you would expect from a teenage girl. And I think that kind of attitude would lend itself well to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, whether it's the current IDW Turtles or even the original Mirage Turtles, I think the presence of Jubilee would just make that book, it would just add such a great layer and an extra dynamic that you don't otherwise get. You know, you, you get that humor and that, you know, the teenage comebacks and angst and stuff, you get that in the Ninja Turtles, but they're all dudes. So you're getting an extra perspective here with Jubilee. I think I would almost prefer a crossover with the IDW series, just because there is so much, so many more diverse voices in that series. You have Alopex, and now you have Jenica um, as a as a Ninja Turtle herself. Uh, you've got just so many great characters, Karai, and uh, gosh, I'm forgetting the name. I believe it's Natsu. Um, I just think that Jubilee would be good, like a good foil for the villains, but also just another voice, uh, something that could uh, could team up with Alopex really well to kind of rib the turtles a little bit. So yeah, I, I went with uh, Jubilee in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So buddy, that takes us to our number ones. So lay it on me, man. Let's hear it. Who is your number one X-Man or you know mutant character that you would like to see crossed over with a non-Marvel property? All right. So surprisingly, it has nothing to do with Usagi or Silver Samurai, like I said. <laughs> and I'm going with Luke Skywalker and Magic. They have energy swords. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> and they both have magic things that they can do. <laughs> All right, so magic and Luke Skywalker. Um, interesting, interesting. I did this one more off of how they share same common abilities rather than they share same life aspects. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, it would make for some dynamic artwork, I suppose. Uh, Silver Samurai, since you were on Silver Samurai, you know, he has a energy sword as well. Yeah, well, Luke could just cut his thing like in half and then boom, he's dead. So I didn't, <laughs> I don't think that would be very fun to do my favorite version of Luke, which is Jedi Knight, Luke Skywalker, against any villain from X Men because, oh, crud, I can't say that. That's a spoiler. Well, I'll just say he's very powerful. So. <laughs> all right, all right. Luke. And magic. Interesting. That, that is, I did not see that coming at all. I, I couldn't think of anything, you know, I'd throw Star Wars in there with Usagi Ojimbo. I just could not think of anything to cross Do Space Usagi, Space Usagi and uh, Luke. Well, yeah, but this is X-Men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you dingus. <laughs> Dang it. I was just saying, I was just telling you how I keep thinking of these two crossovers, but it has nothing to do with All right. So, I mean, if, if that were the case, I could do Space Usagi and cross him over with the Star Jammers. Yeah, that works. But that's not the way I went. I, for my number one, looking at other comic book properties that are not X-Men, I just would not be able to do it if I didn't bring in probably my favorite, my absolute favorite non-X-Men comic book series. And that is Batman. Like there, I cannot talk about other comic books without talking about Batman. And no, I'm not reading, you know, current Batman or anything like that, but there's so, there's so much great Batman out there going all the way back to the, you know, 1939. We've got, great Batman stuff from every decade. We've got so many different takes on this character that are definitive. You know, I feel like every generation has their own different definitive Batman. And yet every single one of these takes on Batman is, is so great. But one of my favorite aspects about Batman is the, the detective part, you know, even in the movies and stuff, when they focus on a, a more realistic Batman, we don't always get that straight up detective. You know, we don't get that Sherlock Holmes level detective where he's in the lab and he's doing experiments and, and doing all of that stuff himself. You know, we get really great Batman crossovers with Flash every now and then when they're investigating crimes and all that. But like even in the movies and, and I and I hear that the Batman is different, but I've not yet seen it. So, uh, you know, forgive me if, if I'm wrong. Uh, but like even in the Christopher Nolan movies, you have a Batman who, who who does some crime scene stuff, but that's not really how it starts, you know, and we always seem to get that version of Batman in, in Batman, the animated series. So I was kind of thinking back to when I was getting into that sh that show for the first time, it was like right on the heels of me reading Hush. So this would have been like the early 2000s. And I, I absolutely love Batman Hush. Like I've that's that may be my favorite twelve issue Batman story. Just like those twelve issues are are so great, um, and I think the reason for that is because I absolutely love Jeff Loeb's take on Batman because he does focus on the Dark Knight detective part, and so I was I was thinking, okay, if that's the route I'm going to go, you know, solving crimes and having to investigate what X-Men character could I put in a Batman comic where it would, he wouldn't feel he or she wouldn't feel out of place. And that led me to 
X Factor Investigations, which was the Peter when Peter David returned to X Factor in like 2005, he relaunched the title on the heels of him writing a Jamie Madrox limited series that was kind of a noir detective story. That was the basis for launching X Factor investigations dang it i haven't read any x factor and i was like i can't think of any character in x-men who's a detective that i can pair with batman i guess i'll just exclude batman from my list oh no bummer well it's it's all right buddy because i got you covered here so i went with jamie madrox the multiple man crossing over with the batman I think a comic book kind of like, you know, the long Halloween or dark victory or even hush where there's this crime being committed by a fairly street level villain. And, you know, Batman needs some help in investigating because these crimes are happening multiple places at once. And, you know, Batman can't be two places at once, but multiple man can. Um, I just think it would be really cool to see, those two characters kind of doing their whole detective thing. And it would just make for a really fun story. So yeah, I went my number one, multiple man crossing over with Batman. Nice. That that sounds very cool. Like I said, I haven't read any X Factor. And if I had read any X Factor, <laughs> then I would have been able to put Batman on my list. But hey, you know, oh well. See, and, and I think I've tried to get you to read like the 90s X Factor that was Peter David's initial run. I mean, that was only, what, like 15 issues long or something like that. And then he he leaves the book and a couple other guys come in until eventually J.M. DeMattis kind of cements himself. But once he comes in and it's like right on the heels of the Age of Apocalypse, the book shifts in a, in a very different direction. It changes tonally. The team, the makeup of the team changes. But that first original team uh, that was, especially when we had Peter David writing on there, is really good. I, I think you should at least read that. But it's, it's, it's very much not the X-Factor investigations that we get in the mid-2000s. So there you have it. Those are our two top five lists of you know, X-Men characters that we think would make great crossovers in, uh, in other comic books. Uh, before we move on to our episode breakdown, Maxon, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Any other X-Men stuff on your mind? Mm, not really. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll call it and we will jump into our episode breakdown. All right, let's do it. So, Bubs, for today's episode, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 8, Time Fugitives Part 2. Now, this episode was written by Elliot Magin, Magin, Majin, Boo? I don't know. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing the guy's name. So he wrote this episode, and it first aired December 18th, nineteen. 93. So, Maxton, to keep up the tradition, uh, usually I have my guests break down the first scene, you know, open the episode. And of course, the opening to this episode features your favorite X character. So, why don't you do the honors? Start off this episode. How does it begin? 
so it begins with Cable in the future, um, and we get to see a little bit more of his story with his son Tyler being sick and whatnot, and the plague, and so Cable goes back in time, immediately right where Bush Bishop goes back in time, like last episode. It's kind of a copy just with Cable. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> and um, from there he finds Bishop, and they immediately get into a fight because I guess Cable is saying his future is more important, but Bishop is like, oh, heck no, my future is <laughs> way more important than your future. Well, well, in all fairness to Bishop, you know, he already did come back to the past once to fix his future, and he succeeded in his mission, and yet his future is still super messed up. So I could definitely, from his point of view, he's like, crap, now I got to fix something else. And so, you know, he doesn't have time for this. And and yeah, uh, I like, they, they did a really clever thing with this episode where there is a lot of retread. You know, we saw last episode we saw Bishop's story, right? Like we, we got the cable bookends in the beginning and the very end where we see cable, like what the heck's going on? Oh, it's a temporal storm that is surrounding this Bishop guy. And then at the very end, he learns, Oh crap. Apocalypse was the one who's responsible. No. So this episode, it's pretty much now we get Cable's story, but cable isn't just going back to the normal past the same way that Bishop does. No, he's actually going to the past specifically when Bishop is there to stop him. So yeah, um, I like that it kind of starts uh, the same place the first part episode did where it starts with the temporal storm. And yeah, we get to see a little bit more of Cable's story this time, you know, him running back to his lab, talking to his weird little computer box thing, being like, yo, what's going on? And the computer's like, yeah, it's this Bishop guy. And then while he's in there, yeah, we see his son, Tyler. Now, I'm not the biggest expert on Tyler from the comic books, he kind of came around Maxon in like the mid nineties. And I don't think I've ever had you read anything with this character, but I mean, honestly, when it comes to cable, the mid nineties is, is a bit of a question mark for me as far as what's chronological, what's canonical. Uh, you know, obviously he first showed up in new mutants and then as the leader of X force. So that stuff's pretty easy to follow. And then there was the whole mini series with Gene and Scott on their honeymoon where their consciences were sent to the future and they actually raised a young Nathan in the future. So you get all this interesting stuff, but we got like a couple of different miniseries. There was like the cable blood and metal. Mm -hmm. And then there was another one that was like called guts and glory. And you get all these like somewhat contradictory stories of the actual timeline that he's from. But at some point in one of these timelines, he has a son named Tyler. And, and again, I'm not even sure if it's his biological kid or an adoptive son or just like a, an orphan that he kind of took under his wing. Even to this point, I still don't really know exactly what Tyler's story is. But at one point in the future, Tyler is taken by Apocalypse and he's raised to like be the next in line for Apocalypse at one point. Uh, kind of replacing Strife. Pretty much when Strife breaks away and kind of wants to do his own thing, uh, that's when Apocalypse comes in and takes Tyler. So this was a character who was just starting to show up in the comics by the end of 1993. So yeah, it's kind of cool that they use, you know, oh, his son's in danger. Because up to that point in this opening sequence, we see that he's still conflicted. Like he's 
you know, thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't go back. If, if Apocalypse is the one to do this in the first place, you know, maybe it would be better if I just kind of let it play out now that Bishop has changed the past. But then, yeah, we see Tyler in the in, in, C- in Cable's present, you know, the far future. We see Tyler just disappear. And that's enough of a, of a kicker where Cable's like, all right, I got to go back in the past and stop this Bishop guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite too sure what Tyler's whole story is, but I think it was the first issue of X-Force, a very great issue. It's very amazing, I will have to say. I've read it over, like, eight times. <laughs> wow. It's just so good. The opening sequence where they go in there and they, like, pretty much just, like, kill all of Strife's men, and then they, like, the factory's gonna blow up, so then they leave. That's just, so, like, such an amazing opening sequence. Um... <laughs> So I've read that a few times, the whole issue, and I think I recall that Cannonball, at some point, while um, Cable's fixing something, I forget what, he says something about Cable's son, and Cable says, Tyler wasn't my son, he was more of a good friend of mine, so I'm not sure um, if he is actually his son, or just like an adopted person like you said um or if he's not even close in this particular storyline but uh, i think it's kind of interesting um how they brought tyler in even though he was like just introduced while cable was introduced by this point like oh i don't know seven years ago or whatever yeah i think uh new mutants 87 was like in 1987 or 1988 maybe even 89 something like that so yeah, so he's about five, six, seven years old. All right, so after, and I like the, the the Bishop stuff too, because it's just like, it's these two guys who are both very standoffish, very alpha males, and they both have these BFGs, dude, and they're just shooting at each other, just like busting down walls and stuff, and they're both like, what's your problem? You know, and they're like, I don't have a problem, you have a problem, you know? Like this just is a lot of bro- crossing over. At first, <laughs> the person is related to Majin Buu himself, and then they're using weapons that are from Doom. I mean, what a crossover, right? <laughs> yeah. We're getting Dragon Ball Z and Doom in this sure. one episode. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I mean, that's you know that a a, a big freaking gun is uh, is Cable's trademark, and you know it's also kind of Bishop's trademark. So. Uh, it's just fun to see these two guys just kind of taking pot shots at each other, completely missing almost every time, just hitting walls and stuff. Like, it's a good thing that when Bishop came back to the present, you know, he came back to a part of town where there were already a lot of abandoned buildings and everything. Uh, but eventually what happens is Cable is kind of like, hmm, you know, I'll have to figure out where where Bishop's going. And so he kind of teleports out of there. And then we get our scene change. You know, we actually go check in with the X-Men and we actually see uh, a recreation or just a repeat of the scene from the first part where Cyclops is watching the news and he sees that because of the virus outbreak, they are quarantining mutants in, you know, their, their apartments or in their, their buildings and stuff. And uh, it's pretty much just a replay of that scene from the first part. And then after that, we immediately scene change again and we actually go, back to cable he's still hunting bishop he actually drops a star trek reference right here not cable but his little box thing so he's talking about like is it really okay because it because bishop mentions to him like i'm trying to save my future and all this and cable's like wait i'm trying to save the future what are you talking about 
Um, and so he's talking to, to the box and he's like, is this, is this even something that I should be doing? Should I be hunting down Bishop or should I let him complete his mission? You know, like, should I really sacrifice billions to save millions or vice versa? And his little box says, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, which is the, the Vulcan thing that they always, you know, it's the thing that Spock always repeats, which is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. You know, so it's you just prioritize majority rules kind of thing, you know, the 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 greater good, if you will. And so, yeah, he, he gets his little uh, Star Trek reference. But anyway, at this point, he's like walking down the street in a different part of town. He walks by what I'm assuming is like a TV store and they have a news show, a, a different news channel because it's, it's a different news anchor. But it's a different news channel talking about the quarantine and I think Cable actually sees Bishop or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just thinks this is where I should head off to, uh, you know, and, and get to the bottom of this because right. he sees the, the report of the quarantine and he like immediately teleports there, um, like right as the police show up because someone's like, yeah, this guy just showed up with like a gigantic futuristic looking firearm. Anyway, so from there, we actually head to the quarantine site and we see Cable arrive and he's like at the top of the building and he's looking out into the crowd and in the crowd, he spots Bishop, right? Yep. This is where Bishop is blasting with his <laughs> eyes closed. Yeah. <laughs> and then he looks up and he's destroyed like eight people because he wasn't watching his beam. <laughs> well, I don't think he actually hits any people, but yeah, we kind of no, see but he could we see that scene kind of play out again, just like it did in the first episode, you know, the first in, in part one where he comes in, and he's like, you know, mutants didn't start the plague, and then someone blast, you know, one of the friends of humanity blasts him, and then so he decides to let loose with his own blast. Yeah, and he's like, Don't make me hurt you, and just closes his eyes. Uh, luckily he shoots the ground and not any any bystanders but yeah i think it's at that point where uh, cable decides that he needs to intervene right right because uh cable from on top of there is trying to get a fortnite style snipe on bishop and he's like oh i'm sorry about this bishop but if i'm gonna save my future you gotta eat this dust from the bullet <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. And so as he's taking aim on Bishop, you know, in, in his mind, once and for all, the X-Men arrive on the scene again, same kind of way that they did in part one, because, you know, their part in this timeline hasn't hasn't been altered yet, because by this point they haven't uh, met up with Bishop yet. So this is kind of the first time. And now in, in, in this new timeline, you know, this new past, they're meeting up with both Bishop and Cable. But yeah, it's a storm and rogue fly in ahead of the Blackbird. Because apparently the blackbird can't fly as fast as the wind. I guess not. <laughs> like, how did the blackbird get there second, but Rogue and Storm got there first? I get they probably had a head start, you know. That that's true because they, the uh, it probably takes a second to hotwire the blackbird so it can go. Well, I, I mean, it's you know it's their blackbird. They probably just need to turn it on. And... Well, right. <laughs> they need to hotwire it, and maybe they had to do a whole. Maybe there was something wrong with the engine, so they had to fix it. Maybe <laughs> maybe there was an oil, oil leakage, so they had to fix that. All right, so this probably makes me a bad dad, but you know that hot wire is like a slang term of like for, to steal a car. 
Not in the ways <laughs> I've heard it. Okay, so Hotwire is like, if you don't have the key to turn the car on, there's a way that you can like break into the drive area and like cross the wires and stuff and get the car to like you trick the battery into turning on. Like that's why they mean Hotwire. Well, there's a different <laughs> word for hot wire in the good case in which it's not working. So you do the wires to fix it. <laughs> okay, fair. All right, fair enough. That works for me. It can be used either way. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So they had to hot wire the Blackbird because apparently it was broken down. So, yeah, they sent Rogan Storm on ahead, which is why they get there like two seconds before the Blackbird does. Uh, but anyway, so they arrive and, and Storm's like, oh, look, the crowd is fighting Bishop, which is how the first part played out. But this time, Rogue spots Cable, who she met back there in the whole Muir Island thing. And she recognizes him and knows that, you know, he's he's possibly up to no good. Mm -hmm. So she goes to confront him and she's like, hey, you know, it's, you know, you miss me and all that. Because like I said, she she recognizes him. So then what happens? Uh, she battles him. Kind of. <laughs> Sort of, kind of. Call it a battle or not, it wasn't very long. Yeah, he kind of teleports away every time she's about to land a hit and kind of like hits her instead. So yeah, short battle. Spam. <laughs> yeah, he's move spamming. It's uh, like Landy playing Dragon Ball Fighters. Okay, all right. Don't don't be criticizing on Landy now. He, I'm not criticizing he plays, him. He plays the way that he plays. All right, that's just his style. Okay, so. So Cable's like teleporting all around and stuff and like dodging Rogue. And eventually I think he knocks her down with like an antenna that's on the, t the rooftop of this building. Uh, kind of knocks her down out of the sky and all that. Mm, that sounds kind of weak, but I mean, Boo's brother never said that you couldn't make a small object overpowered. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And so uh, let me get, so let me see here. After that, Cable then starts blasting at Bishop. Uh, who who was kind of being fought, not necessarily fought, but uh, kind of being like confronted by Wolverine, right? Like Storm, when she arrives, she kind of gets on crowd control. Uh, Wolverine jumps down to kind of stop Bishop from blasting. And uh, at that point, you know, Cable gets rid of, uh, or at least gets, gets Rogue out of the way. And he starts blasting at Bishop. And then uh, what happens after that? I forget. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> At least you have time to edit it, this part out. Oh, I'm not going to cut any of this out. I want my listeners to see how unprepared my own children are. No. Um... You didn't give me much <laughs> time. You sent me upstairs. I didn't have any paper up there. Oh, God. Ex excuses after excuse. Get a pen and write it on your on your hand like a normal kid. All right. I don't have a pen. No, don't do that. Mom would be mad. No, seriously. So after this... Uh, Cable starts taking some shots at Bishop. Bishop is able to dodge and he gets one off on Cable. He actually hits Cable in the arm. And so Cable retreats and the X-Men and Bishop retreat. We have it play out kind of the same way where it's like once Cable's gone. I, I think, does Cable take Wolverine? No, he doesn't take Wolverine yet. Not yet. So Cable takes no one. He just leaves himself. The X-Men take Bishop and we get the same thing where Cyclops is like, how dare you fight these people, Bishop? You know, gosh darn it, you, you're inciting a riot over here. Then he goes inside Turtus. No, they don't. They just go in the black. For crying out loud. No, I was talking about Cable. Oh, yeah. He goes inside of his own little like Tardis thing where, you know, it's bigger on the inside. And uh, he starts fixing his arm and 
as he's fixing his arm, he's like going through the roster of X-Men. You know, he's like, computer, show me all the X-Men. And she's like, this is Cyclops. This is what he does. And he mentions like, oh, I already know about him and Jean Grey. Show me the rest of the X-Men. So we, we see, you know, Gambit and Storm. And then we see Wolverine and the computer says, you know, Wolverine's ability is to heal and and this and that. And then she goes to the next X-Men and Cable's like, whoa, wait, go back to Wolverine. And so she goes back to Wolverine and he's like, I, I figured it out. I got an idea. I solved it. Um, and then we go check in with the X-Men and it's the same as last time, you know, where we have Bishop on the Blackbird and Cyclops is like, you crazy like fight your battles in your own time, dude, what are you doing? And so Bishop's like, dude, I'm here to stop the plague and uh, you know, this and that, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, And Cable figures out that he can use Wolverine in a certain way to do something later on. And he does something with (laughs) a certain someone from something that is on a certain television in someone's room, which was bought by someone, which was in some store, which was put in there by someone, which was made by something. And that something was created due to the materials of another something that someone picked up. And folks, there you have it. That's the whole episode. No. No, so after okay, all right. that's how the materials were picked up and the television was made, and that's how they're streaming it. Yeah, so yeah, people do something, and that's the end. All right, so at this point, Cable knows that there is going to be like a Senate hearing, and of course, we also know this as well because this is how it played out in part one, where Henry McCoy actually goes to this hearing to testify and let everyone know that mutants aren't the carriers of the disease and that this disease did not originate with mutants. And so again, we see this whole scene play out, but this time we actually see it from Cable's point of view. So Cable actually arrives. He teleports in through like a phone booth, Superman style. And we already hear like Dr. McCoy giving his speech from behind closed doors. And we even hear Creed yelling out like this lunatic is going to infect everybody, you know, that sort of thing. And so, Cable arrives and he, he he hears the the commotion that's going on. So he busts in and Wolverine's there and Wolverine's like, hey, let's fight, pal. And, and Cable's like, good, I've wanted to fight you head on. <laughs> yep, that seems pretty funny. Hey, dude, want to come battle me? Oh, yeah, I've been wanting to stick my gun's bullet into your chest so you can regenerate it. <laughs> okay, you're getting a little violent here, pal. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing worse than... Then the X-Men comics. Okay, well, this is the X-Men cartoon. So this is for kids your age and, and younger. Yeah, and so Sozusagi. Yep. So yeah, so Cable comes in and, uh, you know, he throws down with Wolverine. Eventually he gets Wolverine and he teleports away. Uh, however, before he teleports, Jean reads his mind and she, she sees a couple of images, you know, she sees an image of like Cyclops and her and this like DNA thing. And then she sees a pic, a, a, you know, a picture of cable. And then she sees a picture of apocalypse and she's like, Oh no. Um, and then pretty much the rest of the scene plays out the same way. We actually get to see Cyclops uh, and storm and everyone kind of fighting, you know, in this, during this uh, confrontation. And again, the X-Men do the same thing. They grab Bishop and they, they head into the, uh, 
Blackbird and they escape. Um, and then we go and we check in with Cable at Cable's headquarters. And he kind of fills Wolverine in on the truth behind the plague that it was started by Apocalypse. But he thinks that he knows a way to stop it. And Wolverine's like, yeah, OK, pal, like Apocalypse, come on, like that guy. We haven't seen him in like a year. And uh, Cable like has to knock him out again, you know, again. Um, and then we go and check in with the X-Men again. They're on the Blackbird we get the same thing where Cyclops is again yelling at Bishop, like, dang it, Bishop, we can't take you anywhere. Like, this is why we don't have nice things because everywhere we go and everywhere we are, you have to always start a friggin' battle, man. Uh, and Bishop's like, no, 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 no. I was just trying to save beast. Creed had this little device and he was going to infect the beast with the plague and end up infecting himself. And so beast kind of does his, his replay. Um, and he's like, Oh yeah, look, there's that device in Creed's hand. So, uh, bishop's right i'll be darned this crazy guy who frankly has never lied to us is still telling the truth what do you know it's shocking yep and cyclops like dude you're the best causing riots so people don't get affected we need to take you everywhere so you fight people <laughs> yeah he uh he he's, does not veil his contempt for bishop <laughs> whatsoever all right so then we go uh, we go back to Cable again. I don't know why you sound so again. I did. I said it again. It's like I'm setting <laughs> up the scene. so excited. Well, yeah. We're talking okay. X-Men cartoons here, That's man. That's true. All right. So back at the heliquarters, he teleports himself and Wolverine to Creed's heliquarters as well. Headquarters. Oh man, I said helicarters. <laughs> this is what I get for thinking about the helicarrier. <laughs> this is what happens when we podcast so late on a Friday. That, that's true. At <laughs> uh, the time we're podcasting, this part is already eight thirty. I'm tired. I woke up at like six. <laughs> yeah, you get up too early, dude. Seven is a good time. I'm eleven. What do you expect? I'm gonna get up at twelve. All right, Actually, so when I was 11 and I was in sixth grade, I was like barely on time to school every I'm day. I'm an early bird. I've always been an early bird. Ever That's since true. I was three, I was waking up at seven. That is true, yeah. Man, when you were a baby, Maxton, we used to keep you up till midnight and then you would sleep from midnight until 10 a.m. It was amazing. Ooh, that's never going to happen anymore. <laughs> it was amazing. It, and it took like nothing to get you on that schedule. Like you were pretty much born and you were like, all right, what schedule you want me on, guys? And we're like midnight to 10. And you're like, you got it. Well, babies are more intelligent than real people. At least their brains. <laughs> For example, I could think right now, I'm going to go to bed. If I was a baby, I think I'm going to go to bed. <sighs> Out like a light. <laughs> oh, man. You are in for a rude awakening if you ever decide to become a dad. All right. Let's jump back into our scene. Cable and Wolverine are teleporting to Creed's headquarters. You mean heliquarters. Yeah. They're going back to his heliquarters. Yeah. So Cable and Wolverine head to Creed's headquarters. And then what? The X-Men arrive there, too. Um, and they get over to, like, where Apocalypse is, um, and Cable shoots, um, the one scientist guy, and, like, he's knocked over, 
like kind of wounded in his human form from the shot when he's like oh yeah just kidding you see this giant wound that you left me by shooting me i guess if i'm gonna die from this i might as well not because i'm gonna resort to my final form which is apocalypse and i'm gonna destroy you all like last episode Whoa, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah and he starts to transform and you know creed does the same thing where he's like a mutant and of course he, he gives his awesome speech where he's like uh, i am as far beyond mutants as they are beyond you yeah oh man i love uh, i love apocalypse's performance so hammy and so overly dramatic and so good i don't know man it's like it's up there with like the mr freeze performance in yeah, batman the or yeah batman the animated series I think both of those are like probably two of my favorite performances. Well, I guess anything that ends with the animated series is pretty good. Yeah, I I should show you Beetlejuice, and you might ooh Beetlejuice feel differently. Although that was no, that was actually a good cartoon too. What about it? The animated series. Okay. Yeah, so Apocalypse starts to transform, uh, and he's doing the same stuff that he does in part one where he's, you know, blasting at the X-Men and he's doing this and that. Uh, but this time cables there and cable has a plan. Uh, so he is able to kind of like put a stasis field around apocalypse and he positions Wolverine in a way where apocalypse like blasts. Right. And he's about to blast Wolverine. And Bishop is going to go push him out of the way because, you know, he wants to get rid of the virus, which is in all of these little like vats, these like glass cylinder things that Wolverine is standing by. So Bishop's going to run over and push him out of the way and let this blast that Apocalypse lets loose with uh, destroy all these vats. But instead, Cable grabs Bishop and he's like, no, wait, have a plan. And instead, the blast like hits Wolverine, flings him back into these vats and like they all shatter. Right. And so Wolverine contracts the virus and Bishop's like, no, you're, you're sacrificing Wolverine. You can't let him die. And Cable's like, dude, he heals like just watch. And so we see Wolverine get infected with the virus and we all the little green things, you know, show start showing up on his skin to show that he's been infected. And then slowly his healing factor takes over and it beats back the infection and actually he and he heals like which is what that's wolverine's whole thing so he heals himself and he, he defeats the virus and and at that point cable's like all right cool i got what i need so let's destroy the virus so you know mission accomplished for bishop mission accomplished for cable everyone's happy um at this point apocalypse is like all right well peace out uh he just takes off um Beast does the same thing. You know, he grabs Creed and tells him, you know, remember that a mutant saved your life and all this. And so the X-Men and Creed start heading out and Cable, same thing. We just see Cable teleport away. Uh, and, and like, that's it, right? The day has been saved. Cable, like I said, mission accomplished for him, mission accomplished for Bishop, mission accomplished for the X-Men because in, you know, this timeline, this time around, <laughs> they didn't get wiped out. Mm -hmm. by apocalypse like they did at the end of part one just a throwback to last time beast is like remember creed a mutant saved your life well and then they get creed out of there and then apocalypse blasts them and they all die so a mutant saved his life and then a mutant also destroyed it took away his life well yeah that was at the end of part one I this know. is the end of part two where it's the happy ending which is why i said <laughs> just a throwback <laughs> 
So this is the happy ending where Beast is not a liar. <laughs> where, where where beast tells the truth he does save creed saves his life and all that um and then we get just a couple more scenes we check in with bishop we see that bishop has traveled back to the future and his future is still messed up he arrives there everything's still destroyed and you know the buildings are all gross and the sky's all red and all that and he goes into forge's lab and he's like forge what the heck like didn't we beat the virus? And then, you know, the same thing that happened last time where Forge is like, what are you talking about? What virus? Just like last time where he's like, what are you talking about? What assassination attempt? Like we're here because the virus. Well, this time Bishop, he's prevented the assassination. He's prevented the plague. And, and now here he is like, all right, Forge <laughs> crap. Like fill me in on why this, why our presence still sucks. Like, what do I have to go back and fix? again <laughs> what does he have to fix again dude i think the next time we see bishop time traveling is the uh like the age of apocalypse episode the the one one man's worth oh two yeah part. i remember that he was there yeah and I, and I honestly can't remember if we see him in between i really don't remember I think that might be his last episode and maybe he accomplishes his goal. I don't know. We'll have to watch and see and, <laughs> and cross our fingers for the guy. I, I feel really bad for him. <laughs> I know. He's traveled back in time twice. Mission accomplished both times. Goes back to his time and it's still just as crappy as it ever was. He must be way better than the previous bishop because the previous bishop from the timeline messed it up twice. <laughs> yeah, apparently. All right. So, yeah, we see Bishop. His future still sucks. We check back in with the X-Men. We see that, you know, Wolverine has a full bill of health and Beast says something like, you know, your your antibodies are like unreal. Like I can only imagine how great these are going to be for the future, which, you know, a little nod to, to Cable's whole thing. And then we go in for our final scene where we check back in with Cable this time in his future. So how does this episode end? It ends with a happy ending where Tyler is still there. He hasn't disappeared yet. And uh, I think his future is no longer in a gigantic war. Or it is and they just don't show it because they want it to be a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, like he goes back in time to prevent the, the temporal storm that was erasing his timeline. But even with that, like it shouldn't have affected the war with Apocalypse. But for whatever right. reason, it does. Like Cable still has his base and he still has got all of his guns and his kid recognizes him. So obviously Cable is still Cable, you know, but yeah, Tyler runs in this time. He's not sick. He's not disappearing out of existence. Right. He's just like, dad, yay. And he runs up and gives him a hug and he's like, oh, Tyler, you know, like. <laughs> I mean, I guess Boo's brother never showed what was going on outside. But I imagine that somehow there's still a war going on. Though I guess there's not because Boo's brother's like, no, we're, we're not going to keep on making war like Bobbity made my brother do. So we're just going to have Apocalypse go away. <laughs> all right. Well, I think all of your Dragon Ball Z references are losing my audience. So, <laughs> so uh, I, that's it, man. That's the episode. Um, did you like this episode? Yeah. All it's right. It's one of my favorites. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, so this is like the best cable episode that we've gotten so far. And, and we know that he shows up in another four part episode towards the end of the season or the series, the, the very final. It's the four episode arc at the end of season four, which was initially supposed to be the series finale before they came back and were renewed for like eight more episodes for the final fifth season. Uh, but Cable comes into play in a big way in that episode, you know, those four episodes. But I think he comes into play again before that. We'll see. Well, maybe you can have me back in on a year or two, assuming that I'm not just like too not into X-Men by that point in like two years. And then we can do uh, the season four finale. Yeah, we'll see. Assuming I ever even get there. All right, it man. It probably won't be two years. Probably more like one year. Yeah, well, I mean, the X-Men 97 comes out next year, right? 2023. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to have to get through the rest of this season and then seasons three, four, and five before that one comes out. So I'm hoping like in the next year and a half, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll have gotten through all five just in time for X-Men 97 to drop, but you never you know. know. Depending that the zombie apocalypse hasn't started in a year and a half. <laughs> sure. At this point, man, I wouldn't be surprised though. All right. Well, Maxon, thanks. Thanks so much for coming back on. Uh, I had a good time talking with you about our top five crossover ideas. And of course, breaking down this cable centric episode yeah i mean i had a lot of fun thanks for having me again i always have fun uh on these episodes where i mean i get to talk about x-men and i get to talk about other things by throwing in references maybe i should get my own podcast so i can talk about five nights at freddy's as well we'll see <laughs> all right buddy thanks thanks for having me So there you have it, bubs. I hope you all had as much fun listening as I did recording with my older son, Maxton, as we broke down X-Men the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 8, Time Fugitives, Part 2. Uh, so stay tuned. Um, at this point, there are five more episodes left for Season 2. And as of right now, I only have one of those episodes scheduled for a guest. So... I am diligently working on filling those four other episodes, but there may be a delay. Um, I'll try to let you all know on Instagram if that's going to be the case, uh, but just know that perhaps next week, next Saturday, the uh, what 17th, no, the 19th, <laughs> I can do math, uh, next Saturday, the 19th, uh, there may not be an episode. I may have to push it back uh, one more week just so I can get those guests all lined up and all that. Uh, but anyway, bubs, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can follow me on Instagram at TalkinSnicked, or you can reach out to me via email, TalkSnicked at gmail.com. Make sure you stay tuned to the very end of this episode and check out the track Back from the Dead. Inspired by our main man, Wolverine, it is a song written and composed by the talented Retcon X musician who created a bunch of original music inspired by the X-Men. Hasn't done anything in a little while, uh, but you can still find all of his stuff up on both YouTube and Spotify. So again, 
That is Retcon X. Until next time, bubs. <laughs>